You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. So cool when worship goes longer than expected and then you have to cut down your preach. I think the Lord's saving you for something uh, today. I, I did announce last week that I was going to be preaching on sin today. So I expected there to be half the attendance in this room today. Um, I once had a friend who uh, really felt on his heart. He was breaking into a new region. And in a, new, in a new state, planted a church and I really felt like the Lord wanted him to do a serious series on sin uh, and it split the church in half. And so he was like, man, you ever want to split your church in half? Preach on sin and watch what happens. And um, since then, since then, the church has exploded tenfold. Um, they, there are 1500 people. I mean, it's 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 a, it's it's a massive thing to 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 know that when you lay foundations of truth, you can build stronger and higher um, on on the truth of Jesus and and uh, I believe that that's what we are wanting to do and so uh, we are not preaching on sin for growth reasons <laughs> we are preaching on sin uh, because we look at the truths of Jesus and we want to be a biblical people if you remember that we we want to be a people who um, stand firm on on the words of God um, stand firm on the truth of Jesus. And so this series called Higher is based on Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 through 9. And I would like us to read it together if you guys are, are cool with that. Is it working? Okay. So let's try to read this together in a cool cadence. And this is Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9. And it says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. Some of us need help with our cadence. <laughs> Probably me. I mean, we don't remember we used to have the bouncing ball. The bouncing ball was like the best thing, right? Um, or I should start maybe using a, one of those pointers or something like that. I bet you Kyle has one of those pointers. Kyle, I'm going to have to get a, I need, I, need, I need a pointer from Kyle. Uh, probably a few pointers from Kyle. Um, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I want you guys to, to, to continue to meditate on this. Memorize this verse. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, so listen, Jesus' thoughts aren't just different than our thoughts. They're not just different. And I think in today's world, that's, that's how we like to live, right? Well, you know, your truth is your truth. My tr truth is my truth. It's just different. We can agree to disagree. And we do that with Jesus. We, we get to this place with Jesus where we can just agree to disagree with the Lord. We, we can just agree to disagree. And Jesus' thoughts aren't just distant. Listen, Jesus' thoughts and ways, they're not just different than our ways. They are better than our ways and our thoughts. They are better. There's a better way, and there's a better, um, there are better thoughts. And, and if you get anything from this series, I, I pray that it's this. Listen, friends. I pray that it's this, and this is going to probably sound very dogmatic and maybe even religious to you, but it's not me, and it's not anything about our church leadership. It's not about Restoration LA. It's about the kingdom of God. So if there's any truth that you get from this series, I want it to be this. Jesus is always right. Jesus is always right. 
And that can sound very dogmatic because now we get to go to the scriptures and say, look, Jesus is right. You're wrong. Fix it. And in today's culture, that doesn't flow because, you know, there's there's nuances. You know, you don't know my life. You don't know the things that I've been through. You don't know my story. Jesus knows your story. He bled for your story. He died for your story. He knows. Jesus is always right. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is always right. Even if you don't have a revelation of this yet, yet, even if you don't have a revelation of this yet, I want you to speak it out. Like, just think about this. Think about Jonah. Jonah didn't have a revelation that God wanted to save Nineveh. But God sent him anyways. God sent Jonah anyways with a message that he didn't even have a revelation about. But eventually he saw that revelation come to pass because God will do what he says he will do with his word. And it's this very same thing. Jesus is always right. And even if you don't truly believe that to the depths of who you are, I pray that by, by speaking it out, you're developing a theology that's going to shape your world. Jesus is always right. He's always right. Do you have anyone like that in your life? That's always right. Yeah. Now, listen, not, not, not someone, not someone who thinks they're always right, but someone who is always right. So I, I used to, I used to work with, with a guy named Bud and Bud was part owner of the company that I worked for. And he was one of, one of the production managers in this company. And Bud was an extremely thorough person, like thorough person. And so there'd be times when in the, during the workflow, he, he, you know, I'd get something from Bud and I'd look at it and I'd be like, oh, something's missing. So I'd go to Bud and I'd say, hey, Bud. And his name was Bud. Uh, hey, Bud. It looks like something's missing. And so Bud would say, oh, let me see. Uh, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, no. Right there. There it is. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is. Thanks, Bud. I'll get right on it. My bad. We, we'd be in a production meeting, and Bud would say, hey, Jody, um, did you work on those estimates that, that I sent you? I needed some of those estimates. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think you sent me anything on, on estimates, Bud. So Bud would pull out and check the email. Uh, yeah, yeah, 632 yesterday morning. Um, I sent you estimates like, ooh. Yeah, you're right, bud. No problem. I'll get right on it. <laughs> this dude was so thorough. And so it got to a place between mine and, and his relationship that I had to always second check myself on things that I thought bud was wrong in. <laughs> because I, I mean, I, I thought I was a pretty thorough person, but being connected to this dude and his worth ethic made me a more thorough person. So I had to double check things, cross the T's, dot the I's. And it was rare to never that I was ever able to go back to bud and see like, gotcha, man, you missed it, bro. You totally, it, it just didn't happen. This guy was really good at what he did. And I think sometimes we have this approach with God. Like we're trying to, to, to find the places that he missed. And we're trying to squeeze into the slots that, that he hasn't answered for. But if we would just take the time to revisit what he has said and revisit his ways, there was nothing that Jesus hasn't accounted for. There was nothing that Jesus hasn't accounted for. And so when you think you have a, have a, have a, have a way to, to slide into an area that, you know, is kind of gray, second guess yourself. 
Don't second guess Jesus. Jesus has covered all the bases. Second guess yourself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to guarantee you 10 times out of 10, Jesus will be right. Serving the one who is perfect can feel like if we don't, I'm sorry, serving the one who is perfect can feel that if we don't have revelation of who he truly is, then we can never truly serve him. And this is the Holy Spirit's work, friends. This is the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit makes up the difference. You say, how can I serve such a holy God? How can I ever match up? How can I ever do the things that are actually required? And it's only by the Spirit of the living God. If Jesus is just the man upstairs, if Jesus is just the God who we go to when we need something, then we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle especially in the area of sin that we're going to be talking about today. If it's just a man upstairs or just a guy I go to for things when I need something, then we are going to struggle with this area of sin and especially around the understanding of his higher thoughts and ways about sin. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21. I'm not sure what version they'll put up. I'm going to read from the Amplified this morning, uh, just on a couple of verses. First 21 says this, he made Christ who knew no sin, he made Christ who knew no sin to judiciously be sin on our behalf. So Christ who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. So that in him, say in him, in him, we would become the righteousness of God. In him, we would become the righteousness of God. That is we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by, listen friends, his gracious, loving kindness. To be righteous is to be in right standing with God. And how can a sinful person be in right standing with a holy God? Here's how it is. Only through Jesus. And this is why revelation of Jesus is so important. This is why your revelation of who he is, his thoughts and his ways and what he has accomplished is so important. He who was no sin became sin. He knew no sin, became sin, sacrificed himself for the sin of all mankind so that we would all not only be forgiven of sin, but that we would also have the power and authority over sin that separates us from God. This is why it's so important. Sin is not about morality. It's not about right and wrong. Sin is about separation from God. This is why it's so important to God. It's sin that separates us from God. If you have accepted Christ into your life, your sins have been forgiven. And if your sins have been forgiven this morning, let me hear you praise the Lord this morning. <laughs> yes and amen. My sins have been forgiven. I hear this all the time. People say, yeah, I'm, just a, I'm just a sinner. You're no longer a sinner according to Jesus. Your new identity in Christ is you are right before God. You are now righteous before God. But if we still continue to carry this thought that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you were a sinner saved by grace. It, we do have to recognize that we were sinners saved by grace. But when we start using language that brings allowance of our former identity to continue to creep into our new identity, I'm telling you, friends, that former identity will win more times than not. 
I was a sinner saved by grace, and now I am righteous before Jesus. You are righteous. You are righteous if you have said yes to Jesus. If you have accepted Christ into your, into, into your life, then you are now in right standing with God. Are you living like it? Are you living like you're in right standing with God? Amen. The same grace that brought you salvation is the same grace that empowers you. Listen, friends, that empowers you to be free from sin. The same grace that brought you to the forgiveness of God is the same grace that will empower you to be free from sin. He was like, oh, come on, Jody, really? Like, really free from, like, who's really free from sin? The Bible says those who are set free are free indeed. And that word indeed, you could just say it like this. It means they're really, really free. You know, so you, some of you in your family circles, you're like really, really Christian. Because you go to church like more than once a month. It's like that, really, really free. Oh, like they're, oh, they're the really, really free ones. Yeah. Free indeed. Free indeed. So because of this, and friends, because of who he is, because of who he is, according to 2 Corinthians 5, according to who he is and what he did, it is Jesus who gets to define what sin is. Not culture. Culture doesn't get to define sin. The world doesn't get to define what sin is any longer. Sin has changed. And I'm telling you, the world hasn't always gotten it right and the world hasn't always gotten it wrong. But they don't get to define it. It's Jesus. Culture doesn't get to define it. The government doesn't get to define it. As much as I believe that some governments are trying to do it right and we have morality clauses and we have all of these things like you, you, you don't always they don't always get it right. And so they don't get to define it because it'll change. Priests don't get to define it. Pastors don't get to define it. And you don't get to define it. I don't get to define it. We don't get to define what sin is because it was Jesus who became sin. Who became sin and sacrificed himself as sin for our stuff. So you might be thinking, well, who died and made him boss? And to that I say, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He died. And therefore he is Lord. He gets to define what sin is. Let's turn to our Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. We've been hanging out in this uh, passage for a little bit, and that's really cool that we get to stay here. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 17, and it starts with the law. And the law says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so what sometimes happens in the new covenant, what sometimes happens in this, in this, this new expression of faith is like we look and say, hey, you know what we are living now, we do away with all the rest. The God of the Old Testament is not the God we serve any longer. We serve the God of the New Testament. And I'm telling you, that's dangerous, friends. It's dangerous. God has not changed. 
The God of the Old Testament is still the same God of the New Testament. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was with God all along. There has been no change. There has been no, no, no transference of authority. God has been in control, and he's been the same. So the God of justice that we see in the Old Testament is the same as the God of mercy that we see in the New Testament. The God of the Old Covenant is the same God of the New Covenant. Have things changed? Absolutely. Because Jesus changes everything. But Jesus is reminding the listener, he's reminding the hearer, listen, I haven't come to do away with that stuff. That stuff was not wrong. And so the eye, the eye for the eye, all of the other things, none of that stuff that we wrestle with in the new covenant has changed. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Because the things that God says he accomplishes. God cannot lie. And the truths he spoke in the old covenant, he will accomplish because he's God. He doesn't start things that he doesn't finish. Verse 19, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called greater in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is telling the listener, listen, it's not wrong that you're obeying the old commands. I'm telling you, those commands were holy and they were right. And I've come to fulfill those commands. But because you're earthly and you're human and you can't live that law to perfection, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to show you what it looks like to live a righteous life according to the law to perfection. And then I'm going to sacrifice myself as that holy sacrifice, as that untarnished, unblemished, sacrificial lamb, that pure lamb on your behalf so that you will never have to measure yourself up to the perfection. But you will have to measure yourself up against me. Are you with me? Verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking to the listener and he's saying, even your teachers aren't getting this right. Even the men and the, uh, that you are looking up to in holy reverence, because surely they're going to heaven. They're keeping all of the law. They're doing all the things that are right. He's saying, if your righteousness doesn't surpass theirs, you're not even going to make it. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says this. We are all infected and impure with sin. We are all infected and impure with sin. And so why do you need to reconcile your life with Jesus? Because you are sinful. <clears throat> Moral therapeutic deism doesn't uh, reconcile with sinfulness. I'm a good person. And if I'm a good person, I mean, is it living a good life? Doesn't that get me in? No, it doesn't. You cannot be good enough. 
We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Your righteous deeds, your righteousness, you doing the right thing is like filthy rags to God. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. This is what God says about our sinful nature. This is who we were before Jesus, because it's not our righteousness that he looks at. It's the righteousness of Jesus. Right. The Apostle Paul in Philippians three tells us that as a Pharisee, he was blameless and perfect. He was blameless and perfect even when it came to the law. He calls himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was he was an Israelite. He was he was a uh, did everything right. He was circumcised on the eighth day. And then he um, he was a Benjamite. So he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was perfect to the law. He if anyone had a right to boast, the Apostle Paul said, I did. Yet in the end of that passage, he says, Yet I counted all loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. His righteousness wasn't enough. His perfection, his perfection was not enough. And here's why. Jesus' thoughts on murder. Verse 21 of Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone, listen friends, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoa, hold on. That escalated real quick, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is taking the mega sin, murder. Like if we had a, a sin chart, we'd say, what's the worst sin on the planet? Every one of us, murder. One, that's number one. Why? Because culture has shaped us that way. We even have degrees uh, of that, right? We'll talk about that in, in a bit. Murder. Jesus goes from murder to anger in my heart? How is that the same, Lord? Because his thoughts are higher than, his, than your thoughts and his ways are higher than your ways. Anyone who is angry with his brother and sister is subject to judgment. Again, again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka. It's a term of abuse in Hebrew is answerable to the court. Answerable. Don't start using that word. I know it sounds pretty. It's like one of those words. Answerable to the court. And anyone, listen, anyone who says you fool. East LA people are in trouble, man. <laughs> What's up, fool? <laughs> you fool will be in danger, listen, of the fire of hell. Whoa. Come on, Lord. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. Whew, something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and give your gift. 
Settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Do it while you, still, while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. I mean, there's this escalation going real quickly. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. There's a price for sin. Wait, anger equals murder. Come on. <laughs> anger and murder are not the same thing. It is in Jesus' kingdom. And it doesn't make sense to me as a human. And it doesn't make sense to me as a man who feels feelings, who has, had, who has been angry with people, who has harbored anger against people. But Exodus 20, 13 was a truth that they lived by. And all they looked at it is was another checklist. If I don't murder, then I'm good. Most of us can get that done. I've kept that commandment. Next. Jesus is wanting to get to the heart of the matter. Because murder comes from anger. So Jesus isn't dealing with the symptoms. Jesus isn't dealing with the outer workings. He's dealing with the heart condition. He's dealing with the, the, the matters in the seed formation. Not when the actual action comes out to fruition. He wants to deal with it in its infant form. Anger. Jesus' thoughts on adultery. Verse 27, you have heard that it is said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Whoa. I thought we we're talking new covenant now. If your right eye is causing you to stumble, cut it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This is Jesus, friends. This is Jesus' words on the matter of sin, on the matter of adultery. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Coming from Exodus 5, verse 27. Should not cover your neighbor's wife. You can't sleep with your neighbor's wife. You can't sleep with someone else's wife. This is adultery. You cannot do that. And most of us can come to a conclusion. Of course, you don't do that. It's not right. Not even right culturally to do that. And most culture. But Jesus wants to get to a heart condition. What gets you to a place to sleep with your neighbor's wife? And it starts with lust. So if you even begin to look at a woman lustfully, stop. Jesus' thoughts on divorce. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. So Jesus is saying it's lawful. This is legal under the law. It's lawful for you to do this because this is what the law has said. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. How is Jesus taking these things to a higher standard? 
how is Jesus taking these things to a, to a place that's like, okay, Lord, you were supposed to fulfill the law, take care of all those things. So now I'm standing in righteousness and I'm empowered to live for you. And so, like, aren't I forgiven for all these gray areas because of what you did on the cross? I mean, now you, there was just a checklist that we had to le- live by. I don't murder. I, I don't sleep with my neighbor's wife. You know, I know you hate divorce. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll live in a miserable marriage as long as I need to. But as soon as that person, you know, does something sexually immoral, I'm out. I'm gone. Like, it'd be, we, we begin to create a checklist for God. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm taking it higher. How's your heart? How's your heart? Maybe you're not murdering. How are you doing with anger? Maybe you're not committing adultery or fornicating. But how are you doing with lust? Yeah, maybe you're sticking through that marriage. But how's your heart on divorce? Have you divorced your spouse spiritually, emotionally? Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter because he knows that the morality games that mankind has played from the beginning of time has put us in a position of thinking that we can control the sin condition. Adam, what did you do? It was the woman that you gave me, Lord. Cain, where is your brother? How should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? I just looked. I didn't touch. I'm not hurting anyone. God knows my heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. Prophet Jeremiah says this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Now, I know you might be reading this, be like, I I knew it. She's wicked. (laughs) Your heart. Your heart. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Do you know who? Jesus. And this is why he had to die. Because he knew how bad it was. So we have this pecking order of sin. I mean, murder is the worst And then we work ourselves down from there. I mean, mankind even has degrees of murder. Murder one, murder two, manslaughter, right? We have the, the, I mean, and I get it. There's, I mean, but then we have like sins of omission and sins of commission. And we start playing with these words about what sin and what, I mean, I didn't really mean to do it. I mean, most guilty people start out, I didn't think anyone was going to get hurt. I didn't mean to do it. You know, if you're driving drunk and you kill someone, there's a manslaughter. Yeah, you're literally guilty of murder because someone died because of an action that you did. Did you intend to go out and slaughter someone with your car? No, sin of omission. But if you chose to run someone over with your car, 
Yes, I meant to do that. Sin of commission. And we start having all these different, you know, forms of my heart and what the condition and all the nuances. And we start playing God with sin. Jesus says, if you wish they were dead, you're guilty. Sexual sin. We have a pecking order for that. Homosexuality. Adultery. Fornication. Pornography. Jesus says, if you lust in your heart, you're guilty of it. We have to come to terms with the truths of Jesus. We have to come to terms with what Jesus really wants to do in your life and in my life and what he really wants to do with sin. Our hearts say so much different than our actions. And the new covenant, he is holding the new believer to a higher standard. Can you say higher standard? Why? Because he is the standard. Why is he holding you to a higher standard? Because he is the standard. First John chapter two, verse two says this. He is the propitiation of our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Not just yours. It's mine and your neighbors and that person you don't like. He's a propitiation of sin. Jesus' answer for dealing with sin, we see in this passage, friends, is deal with it quickly and deal with it radically. If your eye is causing you to sin, what should you do? Pluck it out. It's better that you enter into heaven looking like a pirate than to not enter at all. Deal with it quickly. Oh, I mean, come on, Jesus. That's a little radical. Yeah, it is. Deal with it quickly. If your hand's causing you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. Why? And when? Now? And do it radically. Because it's better that you enter into heaven one-handed than to burn in hell. These are the truths of Jesus. These are the standards of Jesus. And I know this is fire and brimstone, but this oh, no, is New Testament, New Covenant, words of Jesus, your Savior, the lover of your soul. How do we do this? How do we deal with things quickly? How do we deal with things radically? Number one is recognition. Recognition. Psalm 51 verse 4. David writes this, against you and you alone. Or against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You have to come to a recognition that you have sinned against God. You've sinned against God. If you if you don't come to a place or you don't even feel like you're sinning against God as you're living in sin, I, I think you need to go revisit your salvation moment. You need to go revisit the cross again. Because when we come to a cross, an, an unholy, sinful person encountering a holy God, you must come to the recognition that I am sinful. That I am sinful. And there are far too many believers coming to Jesus who, who still wrestle with the fact that they are sinful. That they are sinning. 
Because the patterns of sin that they carried before Jesus continue after Jesus. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You must come to a recognition that you are sinning against God. And if you don't have that revelation, friends, hear my heart. Jesus is waiting. He is waiting with a heart ready to forgive. I love this about Jesus. He leads with forgiveness. He leads with forgiveness. It isn't you have to do X, Y, and Z, and then I'll forgive. Hey, you're forgiven. Now let's start from that place. Let's start from a place of forgiveness. So number one is recognition. Number two, these are dirty words, friends. Confession. Confession. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It is very hard to watch believers struggle with patterns of sin. Trying to pretend that they're not and trying to fool around, fool the world around them. But even worse, trying to fool God. Confession is such a vital part of this process, friends. If you have never confessed your sins before God, you need to try it. <laughs> If it's just like, Lord, I recognize that I'm sinful. I ask you for forgiveness of my sins. Time out. Hold up. Which ones? Which ones? Do you have hate in your heart? Do you have lust in your heart? Here's the thing. How about we make a list of everything that separates us from God? That thing you run to instead of Jesus, that's the thing that he wants you to confess. Are, are, are you running to drugs, alcohol? Are you, are you running to those things? Confess that thing to God. Confess it to God. Confession here in James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And here's why, friends. Because confession helps community find wholeness. And in that wholeness, you find safety and knowing that brothers and sisters in Christ can walk with you as the Lord heals you from the sinful patterns that you have been participating in. The prayers of the righteous person has great power and it is working. But it doesn't work if you don't use it. If you're not using confession, and I'm not talking about a confession booth, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Oh, bless you, my child. Go do some Hail Marys and you're going to be good. No, 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 no. There's no penance from sin for sin. Jesus already took care of that. There is a recognition and there's a confession. And next we'll talk about repentance. Psalm 66, 18, but also says about confession. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Confession before man and confession before God. Listen, friends, this is going back to how do we deal with these things radically and quickly. Confession. 
struggling with an issue and I go before my brother and say, brother, I need your help. This is what I'm struggling with. Someone in the life of our church just recently sat me down and let me know that he was struggling with something. And I said, thank you for trusting me with that. Thank you for trusting me with that. I will never abuse your trust or hold this over your head as judgment. Thank you for trusting me with that. Now let me stand with you. When you're struggling, you call me. I'll pray with you. I'll stand with you. Confession before man, confession before God. This is how we deal with it. But you know what the devil will ask you to do or, or, or not tempt you to do? Go into a dark place. Hide that sin, secret sin. If it never comes to the surface, you're good. Right? Confession brings it to the light. We come, we're children of the light. And if we are children of the light, we must stay in the light. Repentance is next. Confession, repentance. Listen to this. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 38. This is Peter preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. And listen to this. He judges the crowd. Listen to this. He judges the crowd for their sin, whether of commission or omission, of participating in the crucifixion of Jesus. This is, this is the first gospel preached in the New Testament. He is judging the crowd, and he is saying whether, whether you actively participated or whether you were a standby and just watching it happen, you are guilty of this sin. You crucified Jesus. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the, the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Because this is what happens when we preach the gospel. This is what happens when we preach the truth. It goes right to the heart. It's not just dealing with the symptoms. It's not just dealing with the outer workings. It's going right to the heart of the matter. And this is what the truth is. And this is how we have to deal with sin rapidly and quickly. You go right to the heart of the matter. And Peter says, you're guilty of crucifying Jesus. What must we do? And Peter said to them, listen, friends, repent. Repent. And that word repent means to, to change direction. Uh, when, when Paul Collinson was here a couple years back, he'll be coming in September. Looking forward to that. But he said that word, that word pent, it's like penthouse. That penthouse view. It's, it's, it's your point of view. You need to now change your point of view. You need to stop heading in the direction of your sin and start heading in the direction of Jesus. This is what repentance is. We change our direction. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. For the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. Repent and be baptized and you will be forgiven. There's no forgiveness without repentance, friends. Forgiveness has been granted. It's a gift. It's at the table. It's tangible. It's ready for you and for me to grab a hold of. It's ours, but not without repentance. It's a free gift, but it's going to cost you your repentance. <laughs> But listen to this. Repent to be baptized. Why that? Because it's repentance before man and repentance before God. 
Baptism is your first outward expression of God doing something supernatural in your life. You are going down into the water and you are dying to your old person. Your old sinful nature is being buried in that grave. And that water is, is, a, is, a, is a supernatural sign of purification that comes out. And when you're coming out of that water, fresh, a new creation in Christ Jesus, a new person. Are you new? Have you been renewed? Uh, we used to do a, a, um, a prophetic kind of practice of having a rock with us, signifying the sin that we were carrying. And as you're being baptized, we ask people to let it go. And watch that rock sink to the bottom of the water. And guess what? It can't come back up unless you go back down and get it. Have you let it go? Have you let that sin go? Repentance before man and repentance before God. And then what happens after repentance, friends? Listen to this. Revival. It's revival. In Acts chapter 2, when they, when they preach this gospel, these people respond, right? It's 2,000 men, and then it's all kinds of other people. And so these thousands of people come to know Jesus. Revival breaks out. Why? Because of repentance. Revival breaks out. Thousands of people come to know Jesus. And this new community starts getting formed. We want to know how does revival start? If you're following that Asbury revival right now that's going on in Kentucky on a university campus, I believe it's awesome, holy. I mean, I'm I, I praying that man keeps his hands off of that thing and God will do what he's going to do. But listen, you know how that thing started? In the middle of a service, a young man got up in front of the entire congregation and confessed his sins. He confessed his sins. And revival broke out. Yeah. Repent and be baptized so that you can be forgiven of your sins. These people were cut to the heart and say, that's us. We turn from our ways. Baptize us now. And revival breaks out. Revival breaks out. You want to know how revival is going to break out in your life? You want to know when your breakthrough is going to come? You want to know when God is going to shower from heaven upon your life? Repent and be baptized. Live like you have been born again, washed by the blood of Jesus, in right standing with God. Turn from your sins and turn towards Jesus, and you watch what happens in your life. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says this. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek. And the Amplified puts crave requires as a necessity. I cannot do without Jesus. If they will seek my face and listen to this and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and forgive their sins and listen to this, friends, and heal their land. You want to live healed? Live a repentant lifestyle. And what happens with messages like this, friends, I'm telling you, I know this because I've sat there and I've listened to these things. And I'm just like, yeah, I just really wish they would do that. I wish I wish she would do that. I wish he would do that. I just wish that they would live a repentant lifestyle so that they can be healed. And this isn't a message for them. 
This is a message for every believer. It's a message for you. It's a message for the elders in this church. It's a message for deacons. It's a message for husbands, for wives, for children. It's a message for each and every one of us. Jesus' thoughts and his ways about sin are higher than our thoughts and our ways regarding sin. And we have to line up our lives according to him and his standards. And if we're not going to do it, we're going to struggle with this thing, friends. And we can't look at the sin patterns of others and think like, oh, well, you know, they, yeah, they really need this. No, stop looking at the, the splinter in your brother's eye and start looking at the log, that redwood tree that's just protruding out of your face. This isn't judgment. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, including your leaders. This isn't a, a, a hierarchical priest like, you know, Pastor Holy Jody is giving this message. His thoughts are higher. His ways are higher. We want breakthrough, friend. We have to stop wrestling with the things that entangle us. The sinful nature that so easily entangles us. Is Pam in the room? you guys close your eyes for a moment this is one of those preachers I should probably have spent five weeks on just hear my heart friends Jesus gave you a firm foundation to come to him this morning on and here's that foundation during our worship time I love you I love you I love you and because I love you you're in a safe place there are things in your life that are separating from, from God I'm telling you that thing needs to be identified in your life as sin yes we brought out the big three or whatever you know murder adultery sins of the heart jealousy envy gossip the things that are separating you what about that one thing that you just won't do I won't do it God you know that it's not in right standing with God you know the Lord's ways and you know the Lord's thoughts on that situation and you just say nope I won't do it God you are allowing a chasm between you and the lover of your soul today I'm just I'm pleading with you by the grace of God by the grace of God listen to his truths do you recognize that you are sinning against God and if you can come to a recognition can you confess that thing confess it confess it before man confess it to the Lord now Lord against you and you alone am I sinning in this area of my life today confess it So that you can be healed, friends, so that you can be free. And after that confession, the 
repentance that comes, Lord, I turn from that. Lord, I turn from the lust of the heart. I turn from the anger of my heart, the bitterness that I carry towards a person. So, the judgment. Well, I don't know, Joe, do you sound like you're doing a whole lot of judging to this morning? It's not I who judge. Just like the blood that cried out from the rocks to God when Cain slew Abel. He says, your brother's blood cries out to me. It's your brother's blood that judge me, that judges me. Friend, it's not I who judge. It's, it's, it's the sin that we carry that judges us. must we do if you're cut to the heart this morning repent repent if you've never been baptized if you've never been baptized you need to be baptized as a public statement that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus we'll pull down the baptism from upstairs right now and throw it in that front lawn and I'll fill it with water right now if you need to be baptized receive the gift of the Holy Spirit then revival comes friends then revival comes revive and you get to live again you get to be free live again be free in Christ Jesus this is when revival comes and Lord I pray for revival Lord, I pray for revival in the hearts of men. I'm not just talking about an expression of revival that, 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 that we see around our nation right now. And I praise God for that revival. But Lord, I see what sparked it. It was repentance, God. If my people will humble themselves, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. We say yes and amen, Lord. We say yes and amen, Lord. Heal our land. Heal our marriages. Heal our families, God. Heal our minds. Heal our hearts. Heal our friendships. Heal our connection with others, God. Heal our community. Heal East L.A., God. Heal Montebello. Heal Whittier and Roland Heights and Inglewood and Pico and Monterey Park. Heal our land, God. But let it come from repentant hearts, God. Let it come from repentant hearts and not this prosperous gospel that you are going to bless us because we go to church. If you need to respond to any of this this morning, I'm just going to ask you to stand before the Lord. Recognition, confession, repentance, and revival. Recognition, confession, repentance, and revival. If you need to respond to the Lord this morning, just stand before the Lord today. You're not standing before man, you're standing before the Lord. Thank you, God. stand before you and you alone, God. 
we stand before you and you alone, God. Lord, if I've held anger in my heart against my neighbor, I ask for forgiveness. Or if I've held lust in my heart, just by images that I've seen, God, I ask for forgiveness. Lord, if I'm drinking just a little bit too much because I'm trying to hide from you, I ask for forgiveness. Or if there's any vice that I run to that is not you, I ask for forgiveness. Lord, if I'm guilty of a critical spirit, I ask for forgiveness. I just pray. I pray that as we confess these things to you and as we repent, we turn from these things, that your healing will come. Healing and freedom because those who are set free are free indeed and we will no longer be entangled by these traps that the enemy has set for us, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Why don't you guys stand with me this morning? If you're willing to just lift your hands to the Lord, just please do that this morning. If you didn't stand, then my assumption this morning is you are already living a repentant lifestyle. And I say praise the Lord to that. Continue, friends. Continue to live in repentance. And because of that, you get you can remain free. Remain free. So we stand before you a room of repentant, righteous sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you, Jesus, for putting us in right standing with our Father. Thank you, Jesus, for being the propitiation of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, that we no longer have to pay for the penalty of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, that we no longer have to live in the bondage of the sin. That we are free and that we are free indeed. We say thank you, Jesus, for setting us free. Not thank you, Jesus, for setting them free. Thank you for setting me free, Jesus. Thank you for the freedom that comes because I know you. You have revealed yourself to me, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for providing a way when there was no way. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for the promise that I have in you, the eternal promise that I have in you. Thank you for loving me that much. And I know that nothing can separate me from your love. No angel, no demon, no gates of hell, no religious spirit, no, no former sin, no former lifestyle. Nothing can separate me from your love, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you believe that, church, let's give Jesus praise this morning. Awesome. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I'm going to commission you to go and think like Jesus when it comes to sin. 
and go and act like Jesus when it comes to sin. Those who are set free are free indeed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, yeah, so we can give a little praise. So good. Um, listen, I'm very serious about baptism. If you have never been baptized and you want to be baptized, we can do it now. Honestly, we can do it now. I don't have clothes. I mean, listen, we'll find something. We got towels. I got like extra shirts in there that could probably cover two people. Like you, you'll be all right. Don't wait. Deal with it quickly and radically. If you've been struggling in an area of secret sin, pull someone alongside of you brother and sister in Christ someone you trust and if you trust no one then come to the eldership team because if you don't trust us you need to go to another church that's just simple that's not that's not an indictment on you it's just don't you shouldn't stay somewhere you don't trust the leaders that's not that's not healthy not healthy for you not healthy for us but that's what we're here for we want to love you through it I'm not going to drag you through anything. We're going to love you through it. Like Jesus has graciously loved us through our stuff. Amen. This week, if you can remember to pray for Chloe and I, we're headed out to Denver. Um, don't think you're getting an easy week next week. Uh, Brett is going to be ministering on the areas of reconciliation and forgiveness. So. Hey, you get applause, bro. <laughs> If you could be playing for um, Chloe and I, we leave on Thursday. We'll be ministering at Equip Church in Denver, Colorado uh, with Chris and Cheryl Smith. And they've just planted like within a year. And so we're going to be there to strengthen and encourage them. So if you guys can keep us in prayer. And then, uh, yeah. Amen. Go with God. Be free indeed. Amen. All right. See you guys soon. Thanks.